All right, welcome to another episode of the Streaking Milan podcast. Uh, once again, my name is Pierce, and once again, I've got Zach with me today. Hello, Zach. How are you? Good. How's it going, Pierce? Chilling. Uh, we are, are going to be pretty brief with this um, opening because we've got an extensive interview for you guys uh, to listen to uh, that's going to f- take up most of this episode. But the Who's, Zach, the Who's are winning basketball games. We're back. Natty. We're back. Here we come. Let's go. All national t- championships yep. for, That's no i mean <laughs> jokes aside looked really good um against uh, a, a tough clemson team we know they're tough because they wiped the floor with uva uh, not too long ago uh but also winning on the road in syracuse uh is yeah. no easy task even if it is a bit of a down year for syracuse so i mean you can't argue with three and one right like we right. we said last week right if they could win one of the next three games right two and one is amazing right, right exactly. and now we have a chance going into carolina to pull off you know if they beat if they beat carolina i think we're all of a sudden really realistically looking at making a run at the acc and obviously duke is duke and and, and everybody is there but um the ACC is down and that's mm-hmm. really sort of why you can say that in the sense that, you know, okay, this team is by no means perfect. It's a very imperfect roster and there's nothing elite. I think we've said this, that they can just sort of bank on like that identity mm-hmm. is hard to sort of really grasp. Um, but just sort of with the offense is flowing and I did yeah. not expect that. Like I, Especially you know, you, against Syracuse, man, right. did it look and, crisp. Yeah. And you expect rust after a break, you know, you, you just sort of expect things to not look as great. And yet they're cutting down on turnovers. They're still not making shots, but they're winning games <laughs> and the offense is working. And it's like, you, you don't like, I don't, I'm not sure if this is just an anomaly yeah. or if, or if, you know, um, it's somehow working i mean they're, they're settling for not you know shooting heavily from three yeah, which is what yeah. has to happen gardner is on a bit of a tear um you know dealing with a little yeah. bit of foul trouble but he's been great kihei is you know clutch and and, and that's you know all you need to say what a about pair of games from clark and man he, i mean just, I mean, just even ridiculous against Clemson he was quiet you know he was quiet for most of the game and then all of a sudden he hits that crazy catch and shoot three the and three was like, something else yeah it looked know. like a Kyle Guy three you it know did. like curling That's exactly the what it, yeah yeah no it, it was beautiful it's um I you know I think it's obviously indicative of something we've said every week even through these down downturns and and disappointing losses every week we've been saying they're playing their asses off like right. like that it, it, it's not a question of effort it's just literally been a question of the ball not going through the net right. and like you said that's still not like they're not excellently there although of course right. the it's only that's what percentage, right uh, they were making their jumpers just not from deep um against clemson uh, and not turning the ball over, I think, is the big, you know, response between the two Clemson games. Right. And regardless, you know, they're, they're still giving it uh, a 10 out of 10 as far as effort and uh, goes. And that's going to keep you in games. And maybe the pendulum swung back. Hopefully it stays back with the who's a little bit. And maybe, ah, gosh, Duke, Duke is Duke is pretty good. But, you know, they, they, good, now they're yeah. good Duke teams to win the conference. I don't think we're rescaling back to, to like you said, maybe maybe win a couple more in a row and we'll we'll start talking about that. But I think maybe we're pivoting our our goals to getting back into that um the the top four by you know, in I the agree. ACC yeah. tournament, which has always yeah. sort of been the like, is this going to be a top level ACC team, whether they actually win the conference or not? That definitely seems more achievable than it did a week ago, at least. Agreed. 
And you you have to consider just with this team's tournament resume, if we're looking farther into the future, the ACC tournament might be our best shot because I don't think that the ACC is getting, they're probably getting three or four. Yeah. Maybe. It depends like, on I mean, which games they win. You know, if, right, they, if they finish right. fourth, but they have a win over Duke and Louisville, right. um, you know, maybe their losses come on the road against the the mid range or or the better right. teams. You know, things if they don't lose if any more bad with losses, Duke. right? Yeah. Exactly. I think it's possible, even with a, say even a semifinal loss or something along right. those lines in the conference tournament. But you know, you would think if this is a level of team that can at least make the conference championship game, then hopefully that doesn't mean that their tournament uh resume r- resides on getting the auto bid um so a, l- a whole lot left of course to right. to yeah. see how it plays out so um we're, we're, don't worry we're, we're planning to discuss uh in the next episode of course but i, I don't want to delay getting into this interview um anymore uh, basically if, if to get some background on it this is a book called intangible uh by uva grad uh, who was kind enough to join us and, and talk about these interviews. So his name's Robert Friedel, and, and it's, it's essentially a collection of um, interviews that plays out like a, just a, one of those oral history uh, type of articles you know, that they read. It's, it's about 250 pages or so, and it goes through the first 10 years of the Bennett program here. So you'll hear us talk a lot about different staff members, different uh, former players, former walk-on players, just people who have been here from the beginning, people who were here in the beginning and are gone. And of course, um, you know, all the way up to that national title roster. And it really is just like their firsthand accounts all yeah. collected and very nice and thematic, but um, that that's sort of the organization of it. So that's what you're going to hear us discuss is a lot of this because it is just really just stories being told by these people who lived um, through this story that we all watched over the past few years. So I uh, enjoyed the interview, everybody, and um, check the link uh, on streakingalon.com, the blog post for this podcast episode. We'll have a link for the book on Amazon. So let's get to it. All right. So we are joined today by a special guest uh, who's really brought something awesome for us to talk about. I hope people listening to this get a lot out of it and look up the book. Um, this is a, 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 a new book uh, called Intangible, written by a 2013 alum of the university who's joining us today on the podcast, Robert Friedel. Robert, thank you for joining Zach and I. We're, we're so happy to have you here and, and to talk about this book and, and the Wahoos and Tony Bennett is program. So thanks again for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to diving in with you. Yeah, man. So um, for folks listening at home um, that, you know, the book's called Intangible. It's it's really, really interesting. I I think if you're a fan of the program, you're going to really enjoy reading it and really enjoy a lot of the the funny details that come out about hearing it. And that uh, when I say that, I mean, it's it's largely a collection of interviews and, and, and reads like just an oral history of these 10 years of the Bennett program. So within that, it's stories and games that you're familiar with. 
but there's so much more to like the little notes that come out from these firsthand accounts from the players and staff of this program. So that's, you know, easily point one of my recommendation for it. But um, why don't we start with you, Robert, a little bit of background. How did you come about coming up with this idea and what brought you to to writing this book and uh, collecting these stories about the Who's? Yeah, so right after the national championship games, so the night after, kind of had the idea um, to go all the way back to the beginning of Coach Bennett's tenure in 2009 and tell the story from 09 up until the Natty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's a story that hadn't really been told up to that point. Everybody else, all the other journalists were focusing on, you know, that two-year turnaround from UMBC mm-hmm. to the national championship. And there's just a lot to be learned, I think, from going further back than that and looking at 2009 and walking through every season from then up until the national championship to see, you know, what they changed and what the experience was like in the beginning. Um, And again, I just think there's a lot to learn from seeing the thing develop over a decade. And I think there are things that readers can pull out and kind of implement in their own lives. Um, it's a story more than anything, I think, about building a community that's mm-hmm. sustainable and elite. And I think that can be uh, transferred into a lot of other areas besides, you know, a ACC powerhouse basketball program. Yeah, that's our favorite application of it for sure. So far. <laughs> but no, I think that's yeah. spot on. It's And that's what I mean. Folks listening to this podcast, like, they're UVA basketball fans, or I don't know, a friend of mine doing me a favor, I guess. So, so most people are, are familiar with these stories, but it is something that I think could get a lot of, of play and use um, in, in a larger community. So we're here to really just ping pong questions to Robert about the book, but also I think, you know, Zach and I want to jump into a lot of these memories and discuss these discussions that we read too. So uh, happy, happy to, to get going with some of that. Yeah, so I just wanted to start sort of with asking about, you know, how Bennett sort of assembled a staff. And that's sort of, you know, the, the early part of the book in a lot of ways. And I think that personally, that's really fascinating to me. And I just wanted to talk to you sort of about, you know, you you have, you know, interviews with with tons of of, of the coaching staff that has come through. I mean, Williford, um, Johnny Carpenter, I mean, any, anybody that you can even name. And, and those are just the two coaches I think of immediately when I think of UV basketball um, for some reason. Um, but I just wanted to talk to you about sort of like, you know, getting those stories from those coaches early on and sort of what stuck out. Obviously, you're a UV basketball fan, 2013 grad. So you were around when this program was sort of starting to hit its peak and just sort of hear from you about those early days and and any anecdotes that that you really, you know, sort of found interesting. Yeah. I think the, the biggest shared quality in those guys that have been around since the beginning. So as you said, Jason Williford, um, Johnny Carpenter, Ronnie Wideman, um, TJ Grams, I think came in a year after uh, Tony started. Yeah. Um, Mike Curtis been there since the Mm -hmm. beginning. Um, I think all of those guys shared Tony's vision of developing something for years down the road. Um, I don't think that they came into UVA expecting to, you know, be competitive on a national stage right away. And they realized that they had to build that up over time. And that's more than just basketball stuff. Like you can develop a player, develop a team and implement different schemes and plays and that kind of thing. But 
they realize that there's a lot more that goes on behind closed doors that leads to those national championships, leads to great seasons. And that's the character development of guys. The um, They're going to class every day or yeah. mostly every day. Um, I think those sort of things can get missed uh, nowadays when, you know, the wins are being racked off one by one and hopefully they continue this year. But in the prior years when the wins weren't there, you know, they still had to hang their hat on education, getting the work in every single day um, and really developing the program as a whole. So, yeah, I think that the whole coaching staff was pretty unified in that belief of, you know, this thing's going to take a while and yeah. they just needed to be patient with it. So that's, that's really what stuck out to me. Yeah. It is cool to hear firsthand details about the importance, um, you know, of, of not just the high character stuff. I think everybody who follows this program is, is well aware that Tony recruits, you know, only kids he knows he's going to work well with who are going to fit into the culture of this program. The pillars of the program are well-documented and discussed, of course, but the, the specificity of that focus on education is something that we, I think, are sort of tongue-in-cheek about as, as college sports fans, you know, and I think if you're going to note programs that are taking academics seriously, UVA is always going to be towards the top, but you know, it's D1 ACC, like it's, it, it, it doesn't have to be, is, is sort of my point yeah. here. Like you can run a successful athletic program at UVA and do it like a lot of other schools are at that D1 ACC level and, and not, you know, admonish the, 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 the university or, or the, you know, diminish the value of the degrees here, things like that. It would be a normal thing to do. And what, coach Bennett is doing is not normal I mean it's 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 refreshing to I, I guess <laughs> to be blunt about it like we're snobbish about doing things the right way academically here and feel that our programs do that and that coach Bennett does it to hear it you know bluntly backed up uh, from coaching staff and former players in this book is, is I don't know it definitely makes you feel even more snobbish right like even, yeah. even more even yeah. and maybe I should be saying proud you know because again it's not it's, it's not like a because we're better than other schools but it's just nice yeah. as a fan of the school as a fan of the program as a fan of collegiate athletics to see that so openly discussed like this is a little unusual it's not completely unique to UVA other schools are like this but not a lot of them and and so when coach Bennett talks about the importance of, of academics here for those players it really ties into the, the the unique program that he's built here and the unique type of player that it takes to come in and so yeah. thank you for getting those details and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, you know why people and how much people kept going back to that academic focus here through these interviews Sure. I think the, the coaching staff and program as a whole use education as not GPA, which mm -hmm. I think is important. And, uh, you know, I think other programs and other schools are focused on the GPA mm -hmm. um, and trying to get guys above that three, five, getting into the four territory. But, you know, the way TJ talks about it in his interview is he's trying to get guys to find their own voices mm -hmm. um, find their own voice in whatever their passions are academically. 
Um, he's not out there to get everybody straight A's. I mean, you can do that. You can take gut classes. You can, you know, take the easy ones and mm -hmm. get your A's and walk away. Um, but that's not what they're after. They're after, you know, trying to get these guys established in their academic pursuits and their academic passions so that once basketball is no longer a feasible thing for them, and for some of them, it'll always be a feasible thing. Um, but for the majority of them, at some point, basketball cannot be the only thing that they have to support themselves. Right. So they're looking to develop these skills, these routines, these habits academically that are going to further their careers, and further their lives years down the road. Um, and they're really just trying to develop an incredibly well-rounded individual who has a lot of options in life. Um, and I think that that can certainly be missed by other programs who just want to get the GPA, get them academically eligible, and then go play basketball. And that's not how we do it. Yeah, here. the moment in, in TJ's uh, interview talking about um, Bennett telling new athletic director Carla Williams, you know, we graduate everyone who exhausts their eligibility in this program for a, not just a D1 ACC, but you know, a program that's now won a national title, but was winning conference titles, like, uh, you know, over the course of the, the, the years before that, that's remarkable. Um, and, and really sort of a powerful statement. You, you hear about, you know, Carla's reaction to that <laughs> sort of backs that up. Yeah. And even guys going to get master's degrees, like yeah. there's a hefty portion of these guys that graduate in three years and then, or come back for a fifth year and get a master's degree that's paid for, and now they have a master's and can go out into the world and don't have to really worry about getting another degree at any point. Um, and, you know, TJ talks about letting Mamadi skip classes to take ESL or skip practices to take ESL right, classes. Right. And Brogdon in the Batten School of Leadership skipping practice a few days a week to make those classes. Right. And, you know, Brogdon was a an All-American at that point. Right. Right. He's not in practice. He's going master <laughs> classes. It's crazy. Absolutely. Now, you know, just to, to sidestep the academics, I think, you know, what this book does an amazing job of, as Pierce mentioned, was just the anecdotes of the program. Um, I think it was, who was it? Um, Thomas Rogers, I think, talking about um, Malcolm Brogdon's recruiting visit. And I just, yeah, I just yeah. remember sort of looking at this and just being like, gosh, every story you hear about this guy, Malcolm Brogdon is true. And, and I won't <laughs> go into everything, but the, the night, I mean, you know, I think everyone is aware of what generally a, a night at UVA tends to be on, on the weekend. And instead they ended up um, staying in. And it just like, <laughs> just, just sort of those anecdotes and sort of like what you were able to pull in this book was awesome. And just to get, obviously like Tony Bennett is the architect of all of this, but sort of like, just like, who these individuals were and, and, and I think that it was really interesting um diving into sort of that that first recruiting class that Bennett had um with Joe Harris and Mitchell and obviously um the other guys who eventually left but just to maybe talk about some of those 
those early guys that sort of like were the foundation of the program as players, you know, you had uh, Joe Harris, you know, uh, Malcolm Brockton, obviously Leonard Prentice, eventually um, Mike Scott, even, and, and sort of the mm-hmm. buy-in that, that he sort of what his buy-in meant for the program moving forward and just how important it was, you know, from Bennett to the staff, to the players eventually to sort of, you know, build what we now appreciate as one of the top programs in college basketball. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, uh, building that program in the face of a lot of losses early on. And that mm-hmm. includes recruits. That includes, you know, four out of seven in that initial recruiting class. If we include Thomas Rogers in the recru- recruiting class as a recruited walk-on. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I, like those guys were best friends for a year and four of them ended up leaving. And when you have Joe, Akil and Thomas left, like they're sitting around and like Akil even mentions that he thought about leaving um, right. after KT, Billy, all those guys left. Um, they really had to sit there and think, all right, am I really in this? Am I devoted to this program? Do I think this is going to work? Do I have confidence in it? Um, and they really had to come together and build it from scratch and mm-hmm. build it in the face of personnel losses in addition to losing a bunch of games. Um, and like Joe, Joe talks about going to Who Crew events. Yeah. You know, think about <laughs> now, like talking to, you know, a few dozen UVA fans trying to get yeah. them to come to games. That thought is ridiculous now. I mean, yeah. JPA is packed every night. But I think the the courage that those guys had in those moments in the first few years to stick with it and buy into Tony and buy into this process. Um, I think it delivers them a lot of pride when they look back on it because they, they are responsible for building this thing. I mean, Tony could be there and, you know, the players might not have bought in like it had right. to, they had to commit to it in order to get to where we are right now. And I think yeah. buying is, is such a key sort of concept in this program. Yeah. And it's, it's even like, not, not even just early on in the process. I think that a lot of the times people talk about like guys learning the defense, you know, and I think that while learning the concepts of it are obviously important, I think generally what gets overlooked is just how critical it is for first years and just guys that are new to the program to buy into what's going on and like, okay, we're going to slow it down and take our time with that process. And, you know, it's like a pattern that is repeated. And that's what I love is that you see early in this book and then you see it later on as well as when, you know, when you get everyone bought in, that's when you have things start to go right. And I actually want to ask sort of an application question to college basketball now and with transfers and, you know, immediate eligibility and just with NIL, obviously, do you think that that is still something that can work? And obviously, like, if the answer is no, just say yes, because we don't <laughs> want to stop paying attention to Virginia basketball. But I just wanted to get your opinion on that and sort of as college sports are changing and if that can still work a decade after Bennett sort of built this. Yes, it 100% can. Um, and I think that we're kind of seeing it with UVA right now. Um, like we're watching this team kind of coalesce this year and start to build some confidence, start to um, really come together and start putting together great defensive stops. And, you know, every single possession counts for them. Mm. Um, but I think that you miss like the family aspect of 
right. the college experience when you're doing the, you know, going in for one year and then trying to get drafted. Yeah. Um, you really lose out on the relationship aspect of it. Um, and just having like Kihei there for four years and now leading that program, um, you're developing that family atmosphere over time. And it's not just for one year. These guys are sticking with it. And part of that has to do with the coaching staff being able to develop them to get to a point where they can get drafted. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like people refer to UVA as like a finishing school now almost where you know, guys are kind of rough around the edges and now they'll transfer in, polish it up, and then they're, you know, getting drafted higher, a la Trey Murphy in the past year. Mm. Um, same with Sam Hauser for the past year. But I think that, you know, the the model of the one and dones that is uh, probably more prevalent than the trying to grow old and stay old that UVA has <laughs> kind of employed over the past decade or so. Um, you know, you get the flashes in the pan, but you don't really have a lot of consistency. Right. And so I think just being able to focus on that and uh, getting the humble guys at the beginning who are willing to buy in for an entire college career up until when they can get drafted. I mean, it'll it's going to show itself when we get into tough games and when we're in the one point dog fights. Um, you got to lean on each other and having all of that court experience with each other over X number of years. That's when you really start to see that factor in, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think something people are going to really enjoy about the book is the candor from former players uh, is always, you know, an enjoyable thing to hear it straight from them, but they're also guys with some real personality. There's a lot of humor to it, but also it's just amusing to, see the things that like you assume because of message board rumors or tweets or things like that get actually backed up by by them definitively saying it and we've had some former players on on this podcast before we've had joe harris ty jerome everything ty says in this book you know i've he's said on here it's so it's 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 something we're appreciative of of the candor of of the you know the the things that go wrong or talking about their teammates or the coaching staff and things like that um so yeah again i please please if you're listening to this check this out for it one of my favorite pieces of of candor is is devin hall talking about his relationship with london piranhas um and and if you're listening to this and remembering both those guys but not too too familiar with the timeline of that um devin had committed to come play and London opens up about initially Coach McKay saying, we might not have a spot for you anymore. And then later coming back and saying, okay, we're confident you can play together. And then he comes and visits and commits. And then, of course, it was London Piranhas' gig here, point guard, for his entire tenure in Charlottesville. And Devin Hall was the more highly touted recruit, um, obviously built into an all-ACC type uh, or caliber player, but had a much rougher path as far as playing time and success. Man, to hear Devin and, and London both talk about that, they were roommates you know, while this is going on, is a really cool, I don't know, walk back down that, that path and, and, and fleshing out a lot of these details that people sort of assumed about these guys. There's so many examples of that in the story, but um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, I don't know, what it was like to get these guys to open up about that. Not those two in particular, but just any of these, these people that you got uh, collected here. Was it 
was it an easy thing? Were they free to get, you know, once they got going, how, how'd that go to get them to be personable and, you know, not give that coach speak answer that a lot of them do when they're playing here, right? Yeah, yeah you're not going to get the answers that you get in front of a microphone, I yeah. guess, good way to put it. Um, I mean, you just got to make them comfortable in the beginning and uh, let them know that you're shooting the shit with them to some yeah. extent. Um, and it's just fun. Like, for me, like interviewing all of these guys back to back and the manner that it happened was just an absolute blast for me. <laughs> um, and I think that what's cool is, you know, I get to put other people in my seat by reading this book. And mm -hmm. um, I think you really, you feel like the energy that happened in those interviews as you're reading through this thing, where, as you said, guys are being incredibly candid and open, honest um and confident and it's just a really <laughs> it's a really fun kind of vibe to get into it's kind of like it's a little trip i guess is a yeah. good way to put it akil um, talking about uh the lack of girls on grounds in the summer made me laugh really hard um yeah. i mean it's just like little little you know they're college kids right like it's it's just perfect little uh examples of, of personality and and human beings uh, yeah too. exactly right they are, they're not they're robots basketball yeah. players yeah not robots not just basketball players these guys are human beings having the same you know doubts insecurities yeah. frustrations of being an 18 19 20 year old kid yeah um and uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's powerful when those guys kind of relay their humanity to you. And it, it ties into that conversation about transfer. I mean, you hear it from players who are here and, you know, Akil says, I'd be lying if it didn't occur to me, you know, that it, that, that was an option and watch his friends transfer away to to various success and for various reasons i you know i'm not trying to i don't think any of us are, are really in the business of hating on on guys who leave the program because you know sometimes it's personal um you you saw an example of that pretty strongly hinted sometimes it's uh basketball almost entirely just you know look at shayok going to a different program and flourishing there um kt harrell another you know guy who, who was all conference uh, so it's never necessarily the wrong decision, but there's a lot of different things that add up to, to a player making that decision. And to hear it from their teammates is, like you said, is powerful, powerful anecdotes to, to, to see firsthand from, from guys who were there and impacted by, uh, you know, a fan pers perspective on it is a little bit different when it's your teammate and roommate, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. And just to know that there wasn't any like animosity yeah. between um, the guys that stayed and the guys that left. Yeah. Like, you know, as a fan, when you see three or four people leave in a year, which has happened now like four four times in Tony's tenure. Yeah. Um, as a fan, you kind of get mad at them. You're like, come on, yeah. like <laughs> we really liked you. Like, give right, me right. Back. you know, Justin McCoy, he was probably yeah. my favorite guy of last year's team. And playing him on Saturday, but just to know that these guys are really supportive of each other. And that isn't just while they're in this one program, like that extends yeah. beyond it. And they're pulling for each other when they do transfer. Um, so I think it's a credit to the relationships that are formed there that it's not, uh, it's not all about the next four years. It's not all about what you do in UBA uniform. It's you know, being supportive long after that. And I think that that even just ties into sort of the 
that they're just college kids because it's like you know if you have a friend in school who is not doing well you want what's best for them generally and it and it's cool to hear guys and, and you know both from this book and in conversations I've, I've obviously have not had the conversations you've had with former players but in what I've heard it's like you know you know oh yeah I think he'll do well there you know just sort of those conversations and it's and it's refreshing um, and I will say in, in terms of just the candor that is in this book and just the honesty, this is a program that is known for being very tight lipped. Like this is, <laughs> you know, this is not an open book program. Um, and, and sometimes that's hard to see, but it's just the fact that Tony Bennett keeps things locked away and that's how he likes it. And that works. And, and I just, that, you know, makes what this book is all that more impressive. Thank so you. In, in these, these collection of stories was, um, you know, anything, that you weren't able to put in or that maybe you're sort of like, ah, you know what, it would have been fun to include, but I just couldn't find a fit for it. Like what, what were some of those parts? Yeah. So I, I actually interviewed Sam Hauser and Matt Palumbo. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Palumbo was a manager um, and I couldn't use Sam's cause he was still in the program at the time that I was writing it. Gotcha. Um, and then Matt was still a senior manager and I think it, probably would have been fine and maybe would be different now with all of the NIL stuff. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. But yeah, Matt was amazing. I mean, he grew up playing around in the driveway with Eli, mm -hmm. uh, Coach Bennett's son. And, you know, he was, he told this one story about like Coach Bennett teaching him how to shoot as like an eight year old <laughs> and gave the metaphor of you want to treat it like you have water in your toes and you want to release, like flow the water all the way up to your body until you hit that release. And just the image of, you know, Coach Bennett coaching an eight-year-old on hash yeah. and, you know, growing up in that environment, Matt was incredible and Sam was great too. Um, and I wish I could have used them and a couple other guys, I wish I could have gotten on there, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take it for what it can be, I guess. <laughs> 20, 20, after the next national title and or 20 yeah. year history book. We could... <laughs> we'll see. Absolutely. Um, I guess we haven't talked too much about the like basketball parts. And, and I, I think that sort of speaks to the book itself. I mean, there's a lot of reflections on previous games. Um, so there is a lot of basketball talk to it and, and a lot of like coaching and practice and, and things like that. Uh, I mean, that was a really fun part for me was every time they mention a story, you know, the FSU game where they lost to the buzzer beater. I know I'm like, boom, I know where I was sitting. I know, you know, I remember that shot. I, I remember. remember how, how, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's so many of those because, you know, most folks listen to this have followed this program, have been dedicated fans. They listen to a couple of morons talk on this podcast every week about, about their feelings about UVA sports. So I think if you're hearing this, you're that type of person who's going to not just enjoy the the lessons and the stories, but also the, the those little pings of, of nostalgia through the highs and the lows um, and you know, well-versed with what the lows are with UMBC and Syracuse. I'll tell you what, when they, when they brought up that Miami ACC tournament, blowing that 10 point lead. I remember the noises I made yelling at my TV <laughs> for that game. Like that, that was a, an all time 
awful collapse that we don't think of anymore because it's been that long and of course the the story arc has been much more massive but if you if you have followed this program dedicatedly like i'm sure you have if you listen to this you're going to really enjoy those brief reflections on these collections of story and that makes it a lot of fun in addition to these personalities it's just the the remembering of those little moments that like that's like why we watch sports right are those little moments make us feel those things so much so I bet that came across Robert when you were interviewing these guys like that's why they open up right like because they want to relive a lot of these little these little stories absolutely they enjoyed the hell out of their time at UVA like they, they light up when they start talking UVA basketball Maybe even like, you know, t- the, the John Tell uh, moments, uh, John Tell Evans, like has always been a character and, and you know, was a, a very early part to the, the Tony Bennett uh, timeline and story here. Not one to be overlooked by UVA fans, you know, I think it's it, it, that's another reason you're going to really enjoy uh, reading these stories is getting to remember those guys who who at the time were, you know, the fir- at the forefront of the program and are the building blocks for for the success we've seen here too so um it's not just the joe harris's you know is, is what i mean like the yeah. the stories from the walk-ons are great as well um and the candor from the staff was at times i thought un- surprisingly o- open <laughs> which maybe maybe speaks to like tony himself of course is not a very self-grandizing or, or verbose guy at least on record um i hear he can be pretty funny and chatty uh, off the record of course but anyway my, my whole rambling point here is uh it's it's gonna open a lot of memory banks for you um robert in, in, uh, i think going back on the the timeline of things and kind of watching it from that bird's eye point of view flying through the memories in your own head as you mentioned i think it makes losing now a little bit more palatable for me <laughs> Good. It makes me like zoom out from yeah. like the jam jam you lost like yeah. i can i guess look at that and think well these guys haven't been in the gym with that many people all hating them all yelling at them like the some of the chants that were directed at tony in that game like are you kidding me um well, but they haven't been yeah. in that environment and they haven't yeah. been in that environment together um and of course i do think we're a better team than jmu but not on that night and i think we kind of got uh punched in the mouth a little bit by that environment but on the long view of things like we want that game we want to be in yeah. those environments where people hate us because when we walk into cameron like do you think it's going to be any different or you think it's going to be you know exponentialized um and you got to be able to handle it and got to have previous moments to go back to that you can say you know we're not done here like we can be energized by this we can um still play our game i think there's been a lot of evolution to the program and and you see some of that through um the stories as as the book goes you know closer and closer to the national title i'm wondering if you felt any of that from like the staff members in particular had been here the whole time and and um you know where where do you see how they reflect upon that story of of growth over those 10 years because it hasn't been you know run the same thing from year one through even the x's and o's but obviously there's things you and, and it's noted in the book there's things you change and adapt throughout the whole program even off the court 
Um, sure. What were some things that you know stood out to you about the growth of the program? Um, one of the things that didn't make it in was a, a quip from uh, from Mike Curtis just about like goal setting because he was very adamant from the beginning um, of the program when he entered in in 2009 uh, he wanted to win a national championship and he didn't shy away from saying that uh, yeah. I think line is because he didn't want guys to not think in those terms um, and then after they won I asked him like what's the goal now like is it to become a dynasty is it to win more national championships and his response was, uh, winning, winning national championships is hard. <laughs> That's a pretty good line there and very true. Um, but it's very that, wise. <laughs> yeah. But he said that the goal is to get into the NCAA tournament and be competitive, get the 30 win seasons, and then kind of see what happens in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that tournament is your odds going into that of winning it are lower than maybe any other sport in playoffs. Um, and you got to get lucky. You got to go on a run. You got to get hot at the right time. Like there's so many factors and just so many games you have to win in a row um, that it is incredibly hard to win a national championship in basketball. But I think the, I mean, he flat out said the goal is not to build a dynasty. It is to get us to the point where we have a shot. Yeah. Um, and I think that's healthy from their standpoint. Like it's no longer like it can't be national championship or bust. Like it has to be something else that, you know, you can attain and still be happy with the season, regardless of the outcome. And I think that's probably an important lesson for all of us and for UV just in general. <laughs> Yeah, because well, I know the, the 20, more championships, like, the better, Zach. Like, I think it's, <laughs> it's still my goal as a fan. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I just, I, I do think that there is a mindset after 2019 mm -hmm. that it's like, well, why haven't we done that since then? I mean, and I do want to ask you. You applied it, you know, sort of your bird's eye view on this, and and looking at like the JMU loss. You know, as this program is almost in a second, like rebuilding phase, it feels like. And I feel like in a lot of ways that 2022 class that we have coming in is in many ways similar to 2016. And, and just those guys that were sort of coming into the program. Do you see those similarities, too, just in the sense that, you know, there are years that are going to be rougher that require that buy in for later down the line? Like, is that a realistic pattern that's um, emerging? For sure. Um, and I mean, you look at Kihei this year, I, I look at him very similarly as London's fourth year, mm -hmm. um, where he had to kind of step up and be the big dog on the court and take those tough shots, um, not be passing up threes, which he's still doing a little bit too much <laughs> for me. But, you know, watching all of those guys develop, I think you realize that, um, you know, these guys are going to get better as these years go on. And the more that they play together, the more comfortable they get together and the more talent that comes into the, the program, like we are going to get better as we go on here. Um, and every team's going to be different with their leadership, with just the team makeup. But I do think that this year in particular, like we kind of started out and everybody was pretty uncomfortable with one another on the floor. Like they've mm -hmm. been on the court together for, you know, for Armand and Jaden, like six months, something like that. Mm -hmm. 
and that's not a whole lot of time. But as this year is going on, you're starting to watch this development of the team to the point where they are like a unified unified body um, starting to shut people down on that defensive end and getting the confidence from going up against better competition and going up against it together. Um, I mean, you can, when you bring in a bunch of new recruits and you're got a highly recruited uh, or a highly touted recruiting class, you know, you might have a lot of success in the beginning of the year because of individual performances. But what I love about UVA's progression is it really is like the entire team is getting better at this point. And we're not just depending on one or two guys to go out there and drop 25 a game. Like we need the entire team to be shutting guys down on defense and our defense is looking a hell of a lot better as we go on. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm excited about this year and where it can end up um, just because of the trajectory that, that mm-hmm. I think we're on right now. Um, but I agree with you. There's a little bit of a rebuild feel and we might not be there talent wise this year, um, but that's coming. And I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Um, and just being able to be in all of these games this year while we're in the pseudo rebuilding phase, I think is a testament to where we stand as a program right now. I think last year, you know, there were plenty of moments of people being really frustrated uh, with the program and, uh, you know, losing to San Francisco to kick things off and things like that. And that team won the conference. So, you know, like uh, the book's not closed on, on this season. Although Zach and I have been laughing, like, is this the week that we officially temper expectations? <laughs> is this the week that we, you know, and it was last week that we officially, I think we announced the podcast is changing its expectations for success this year. And sure enough, now they're on a winning streak. They're making a, like, you, you fueled them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's our wrong guesswork. <laughs> it's it's yeah. always going to win the conference. We still got a bunch of good. Oh yeah. Answers. You know, we just got to be patient with the process and know that we're going to be a hell of a lot better in a few months or two months than we are right now. Well, I mean, look at the growth between the two Clemson games. Like, it's funny that it it was a home game where they get blown out and then they play the much better in Little John, Um, but not a lot of time in between what looked like two completely different programs or two completely yeah. different teams on the floor, at least because um, yeah. Clemson didn't play all that poorly in Clemson. It's just Virginia played a heck of a lot better. So hopefully. Yeah. And you're starting to see the confidence come into play with those guys yeah. too. With Shedrick, just having all of those minutes under his belt now from the season and, you know, effectively leading the nation in blocks or something, or at least close up there. Um, I mean, I think you're really starting to get some confidence built in those guys and that like a Tony Bennett team with confidence is a scary, scary thing to see <laughs> in the end of the season. Now, you know, I, I want to ask you, so we, we've seen this trend of progression throughout a season. And I, and I think I, I can expect or suspect what, what your answer is going to be here. But, you know, you look back to 2013, 2014 and last year, even even the national championship year to a certain extent with some of the early losses they had or a loss or two rather um is this like a tony bennett secret sauce where like once january and acc play hits and they're just grooving or is that just more so is that just sort of like the makeup of the program and what's meant to happen as guys as you say get more comfortable yeah i think it definitely is part of the recipe like we 
you know, we want to win every game that we're in, but losses aren't that bad in the beginning of the year. I mean, maybe in mm-hmm. like in Palm stuff, all the rankings, maybe those are bad losses like JMU and maybe, but you know, I think you kind of need those losses to be able to grow and get comfortable. And we aren't trying to be the best team on the basketball floor in the first and second game of the year. Like we're shooting for end of the year, ACC tournament, NCAA tournament. That's when we want to be playing our best basketball. And I, I mean, I think it's held true in every single year that that is when we are playing our best basketball. Um, and part of that has to do with the training regiment and what Mike Curtis does in terms of keeping those guys ready to play and healthy for an entire year and, you know, not going to hell a lot of wood, but (laughs) we haven't had any injuries this year that have, you know, taken us out of, out of anything. No guys are really missing stuff outside of COVID. Um, And I think that there's really something to be said for that, that we're trying to keep these guys healthy for the end of March. We're not really concerned about, getting the highest production of them on day one well sort of to a counterpoint to that is is this trend that the program built until 2019 of of spectacular failure (laughs) you know uh, and now every year every team in that tournament loses except for one right like finishes their season with a loss except for one but it's it's easily fair to say virginia was not living up to its seeding um in in its tournament history every single one of those games was explainable, but once it's however many in a row, you know, uh, it becomes less (laughs) like as a macro explanation. Did that come up a lot in these conversations? I do remember specifically one of the staff members rattling off, you know, I'd bank on any of those teams for those like five years in a row. You know, one was Dre's wrist. One was uh, Brogdon's injury and them getting, you know, uh, blown out there uh every year you know justin coming back from injury and not being the same um every one of them has that explanation right and sometimes you just yeah exactly sometimes michigan state just beat you because it's michigan state and you 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 know sometimes good teams beat you but to what extent did that come up in these conversations um that that sort of cloud that was hanging over the program specifically involving the the the, the national tournament it's a good question i mean it definitely came up like the mm-hmm. you know getting into those big moments and then failing to a certain degree um but i think you kind of need those failures just like we talked about with needing losses like as a program, you need big losses, you need big failures in order to then be put in those spots again and succeed because, you know, it gives you the bad taste in your mouth from the previous one. Um, And it also, I think, gives you just the confidence that you've been there before. Um, Like Ty talks about going into the Gardner-Webb halftime versus the UMBC halftime, like two completely different locker rooms there. UMBC like coaches are coming in yelling and screaming what the hell are we doing all of that <laughs> and like there's no confidence in there and yeah. then in the Gardner Webb game like Ty's making jokes like we're about to win this game by 20 we are <laughs> right, right, right. Line right now nobody needs to panic um, and I think that you need those things as a full-on program like look at uh, Georgia in football this year like you need to lose to Alabama a certain number of times before you can then beat Alabama in the national championship. Oh, is that your prediction for? 
right. If the, if the theory holds true here. All right. All right. <laughs> um, but I think it really is just being put in that spot and being comfortable in that spot, um, being comfortable with the pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, like London talks about going into the 116 game and having pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a human being, like that's normal. Like when you have a stadium full of people and you are expected to win, the other team has nothing to lose. That's a tough spot to be. And you kind of got to be there at least once before you can really, you know, realize what's going on around you and have the confidence to succeed in those environments. Yeah. I think, you know, my response had always been if, if this idea that Bennett ball is more likely to get upset because it limits possessions or, whatever mental fortitude, you know, the coaching staff or players are supposedly lacking, then they wouldn't be winning ACC titles, you know, in the tournament is in particular, obviously great regular season success, but they are also winning ACC titles in the tournament too. So like, how is that any different than playing uh, Vermont or, or, or you know, uh, UMBC other than, they're better teams than the teams you're getting upset by sometimes uh, in the, in the national tournament. I just think, you know, we, we've been over and over this, of course, it's the bookend to winning a national title changes the story of the program for so many reasons, but you've heard it already since then they lose to Vermont in a, in a game um, with a NBA caliber player on the other team, much like UMBC, and uh, COVID scare uh, on uh, on Virginia's side, you know, people were penciling that in, even if it wasn't because Virginia's choke artists, you know, even if Virginia gets upset, people are penciling that in because on paper, it looked like a game that the Hoos could lose, you know, yeah. and, and then ended up losing a close one. Now they come out, like we've mentioned, the season has had plenty of downs and plenty of, of tough losses. Um, and you're already hearing, oh, 2019 was a fluke. Yeah, People should probably read this book to remind themselves. <laughs> like you said, it's hard to win a national title. And the amount of, of program building that we've seen here in Charlottesville is, is second to none. Uh, and, and to question, I mean, yeah, like we question all the time, this lineup decision, this strategy. Yeah, of course, that's fair. That's normal. That's that's why we watch sports and want to talk about. It. But to question like the direction of Coach Bennett and this program, this this will do a good job of I think grounding you if you have any doubts. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, we're gonna be fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we just need to get back to you know recruiting the 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 humble servant to. Uh, I'm trying to use all the pillars in one sentence. Now we have a class of high four stars all coming in and they know what they're signing up for. So I think you can have the best of both worlds continue here in this program. It just might be harder to find that those guys uh, that are particularly excellent fits for the program. So yeah, hundred percent humility among teenagers as a coach of teenagers currently is a hard trait to find well now we're definitely old people because we're talking about the youths not being as humble as they they used to be so zach can shake his head and know that he's going to be doing it not too long (laughs) down the road too all right well robert before we get um get going here and 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 thanks again for for chat with us i i do want to put one more note about how that title frames the book and the, and what I think people would get out of this book. 
to you, if Virginia hadn't won the national title and maybe even like, maybe they lose that Purdue game as they probably should have, right? This story that comes out of this book is still there a hundred percent. It doesn't have the fairy tale ending, which just gives us even more, you know, warm and fuzzies uh, because we're fans of the program. But really what you hear throughout these interviews doesn't have a whole lot to do with the outcome of that Texas Tech game and making that final four. I think you see that reflected in anybody who's played for this program or worked for this program and talks about it. But I think it's a good point to sort of reiterate is sort of like the cherry on top to a program being built over the course of this decade is seeing that it did work to the pinnacle of what it is to succeed in college basketball. But can you reiterate a little bit about like what those overall actual impacts, impactful things these players and and staff are taking away? Like what is the actual end game story of the first 10 years of, of the Bennett program? Yeah, I think the, I was interested uh, going into writing it, just how much different the year 10 was going to be, the national championship year, um, to read how different that was going to be versus all of the other seasons. And I think what you find out is that it's not different at all. Like the tone of all of the year chapters is consistent through all 10 of them. Um, that includes the national championship. Like Ty's talking about winning a national championship. Like he just went to the grocery store and picked up some apples. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a very like matter of fact kind of thing. Um, and I think what your question of what is the program's end game? I mean, I think it's just creating high quality individuals um, to kind of go out into the world and use their passions on you know, what and talents on whatever uh, their goals are in life, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously we want to win basketball games, but there's the intangible quality that a lot of these guys are the vast majority of the guys who come out of the program really exhibit. And um, they kind of, it's kind of flowing out of them, I guess. Yeah. Um, So I think that's really the end goal is to create high quality individuals and foster their growth, um, help them to get pointed in certain directions and, you know, kind of take on the world from there. But yeah, I don't think that the, the goal is never to win a national championship. It's to get yourself into that position and create good individuals along the way. Awesome. Well said. Well, thank you again, uh, Robert, for joining us. We, we appreciate the chat. Um, if you're listening to this and curious about where to get the book, we're going to have the link on the Streaking Lawn uh, blog post uh, for this episode. So I know most people just get this off their phone. Go ahead and pull up streakingthelawn.com and you'll be able to see it. Um, again, the, the title of the book is Intangible, the story behind Virginia's bigger than basketball program. Uh, Robert Friedell, class of 2013 uh, for UVA is, is the author. Um, you're really going to enjoy it if, if you're listening to this. I promise you it's 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 not just going to make you, I, I said I was going to say proud, not snobby. It's, it's going to make you proud. It's going to make you appreciative uh, even more so, but it's also thoroughly entertaining. Uh, it's really going to be a lot of fun for you to read these interviews. So um, 
check out the link at the blog. Robert, thanks again. Go Hoos. Hope this season continues uh, its turnaround. And Zach and I will be back soon to talk about uh, that continued turnaround. And uh, Robert, we'll have you back down the road for the next national title book, right? I'm in. I'm in. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. So that was really fun. Thanks, Zach. That was awesome. Yeah. seriously you you guys got to read this thing it's awesome it's it's Um, incredible i'm i'm being completely sincere here and uh how much i enjoyed it so please do check it out um and we'll be back next week um to talk a little bit more about obviously the current season of games we've got some football staffing news to talk about as well potentially basketball recruiting news at some point maybe who knows we'll see i don't want to jinx it uh but anyway uh, until then go who's everybody 